Before we jump into today's episode of Survivor Sanctuary, I want to let you know that you can become a supporter of this podcast and help offset some of the costs of bringing this podcast to you each week. You can visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, click on donate, and you can give an amount starting at 99 cents a month and going up to $9.99 a month. If you love the podcast and you want to keep new episodes coming to you, then visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary and become a monthly donor today. More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. This is Kelly. Do you ever have one of those days or maybe a string of those days as survivors of sexual abuse or as advocates for the abused, especially within the church, where you just are kind of bummed and kind of down? I don't want to have a downer of an episode today, but this is something that we struggle with as survivors, and it's something that we struggle with as advocates. And I will say that that is kind of the posture of my heart at this present time. I am hurting, and I don't even think that hurting might be the right word. I I feel extremely grieved just over the last several days, especially, and it's something that crops up a lot when you're working in sexual abuse advocacy, but my heart is grieved over the number of churches who are not taking child molestation seriously. The number of churches who are willing to reinstate pastors or in-state pastors who have spent time in prison for sexually abusing children. Now, there are stories about child molesters that crop up a lot, but this week it just seems like the perfect storm of sharing on social media, the perfect storm of stories about churches embroiled in sexual abuse scandals that has just kind of got me bummed. And I just, I want to talk about it today because it is beyond frustrating. And I think it's interesting that this week is the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting. And I actually saw a tweet posted by an advocate yesterday that says, another big step on confronting sexual abuse as SBC 21 overwhelmingly passes a resolution declaring that those who commit sexual abuse, they say is, but it should be are, quote, permanently disqualified from holding the office of pastor, end quote. Um, This is a big step. I will say that this is a big step that should have been taken many, many years ago. This is something that should be a given if you know anything about scripture. This should be a given if you know the qualifications for being an elder, a church leader, um, that anyone who has committed sexual abuse is permanently disqualified from holding the office of pastor. This should make me happy. 
this should have me probably overjoyed. And when I first read it, I was like, oh my gosh, they're finally doing this. That's good. However, as I mentioned, this should have happened years ago. And like, I don't want to poo-poo everything. I don't want to just be negative Nancy and like find a reason to condemn the Southern Baptist Convention every second that I get. Um, No, I don't like the way that they handle sexual abuse. No, I don't like the way that they do things. Uh, Yes, I think that this entire resolution that has just passed is solely because of the leaked emails of Russell Moore's. I really believe that. The emails that have leaked from Russell Moore and others over the last several weeks have brought about this change. I don't believe that this is just genuinely something that is the heart of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't think that out of the goodness of their hearts and their deep, deep care for those who have been sexually abused, they decided to pass this resolution saying that anyone who has committed sexual abuse is permanently disqualified from being a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention. I believe that, again, it is a move that they have to make because those leaked emails make the Southern Baptist Convention look really, really bad. And they make it look as though the leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention does not care at all about survivors of sexual abuse. And I, I mean, I, I said it makes it look like, but it, that's just the reality when you see in those leaked emails, the things that were allegedly said by the Southern Baptist uh, members, I by members of the Southern Baptist Executive Committee. They don't care about child sexual abuse survivors, and they don't care that their ministers are molesting children. They're very anti-survivor based on the things that we've learned. I mean, I can say over the last couple of weeks, but really it's been over the last like several decades. We know based on history that this is not in the forefront. But I will say that regardless of what brought about the change, whether it was the Southern Baptist Convention finding it in the goodness of their hearts, or if it was because of leaked emails and it's just another PR move, what's done is done. And I will say that at least we arrived at this point where finally we have the SBC saying, if you have committed sexual abuse, you are permanently disqualified from being a pastor. I think that that's good news. So why is my heart grieved (laughs) when learning this news? Um, Why am I feeling down? Why am I feeling bummed? I think it's because it feels like this is an uphill battle every single day. You speak out about sexual abuse. And I mentioned a few episodes ago that I don't speak out about sexual abuse for my health. Like it's not fun to do. It's not fun and enjoyable to research the disgusting garbage that's happening within the church. It's not fun to read those articles. It's not fun to read the testimony of people who have gone through it. It's not fun to know that churches are over and over again putting pedophiles in the pulpit or in places of leadership. Um, But we do it because the end goal is to protect children from being sexually abused. That is the end goal. That's why everybody who speaks out speaks out. We want to keep this from happening. And the only way to keep it from happening is to hold accountable the people who cause it, the molesters themselves, and the people who enable it, those who cover up for molesters or decide that it's okay to have child molesters in their pulpits. So a couple of stories have really upset me this week, and I wanted to just quickly recap them. And actually, I want to thank Ryan Stoller. He is an advocate. He speaks out a lot about homeschooling and different things. And he touches on sexual abuse and posts different you know, links to articles and things like that. And so I actually found one of these stories from Ryan Stoller. The other story 
is from the Preacher Boys podcast, which if you don't listen, it's a fantastic podcast about sexual abuse in the church. And always encourage you to listen to any podcast about sexual abuse within the church. Let's arm ourselves with as much knowledge as possible and like learn how to stop this. And the only way I think that we can learn how to stop it is to really study what's actually happening. You got to get to the root cause and you got to know what's actually going on in order to fix it. Otherwise, we're just putting band-aids on things over and over and over again. So the first story is about a church bus driver, Joseph Iyer, 50 years old, and he allegedly molested a child under 14 years old between July 2015 and December 2017 in Gary, Indiana. This is according to police who have been investigating him and have now arrested him. So he's facing three counts of child molestation, a count of sexual misconduct with a minor, a count of sexual battery. And this man was a bus driver for the children's ministry, of course, at his church in Gary, Indiana. So the story itself is sickening enough, of course, like Obviously, a man who sought out a church bus ministry is a man who ended up being a child molester. Big shock. Happens all the time. Like, I'm not making this up. Look up church bus driver accused of sexual abuse, and you're going to find so many churches in so many different states that it's obviously a place where people who want to molest children look to get involved in a church. They have very easy access to children that they're driving around on buses. In any case... This man, Joseph Iyer, was a bus captain at First Baptist Church of Hammond. This is in Indiana. And when this was posted on the Preacher Boys Facebook page, there's actually a comment by somebody who knows his family, has known them for many decades, and a member of his family, his brother specifically, his brother Matthew Ayer, posted a comment about his brother being arrested. And I'm going to read it for you here. It says, and I quote, Disclaimer, I do not hate my brother, nor do I wish him ill will. This is not written out of spite or harm to his family or his church, but the truth needs to be known. Well, it's finally happened, and it's time for me to end the silence. After years of homosexual affairs and reports from adults that Joseph molested them as kids, my brother was finally charged with five counts of child molesting. If you were on Joe's bus route at FBC Hammond and were affected by him, I'm sorry. Please contact the authorities. And here's where it gets interesting. A couple of years ago, we tried to warn his church, even with evidence, but they refused to hear the evidence and promoted him, continuing to allow him to work with children. Do not go to the church. That's in all caps. Go to the authorities if you want to make a report. I'm sad to say your church leadership has worked to ignore this, even telling his wife that her first priority is not to protect her children, but her husband. The law labels his crimes as child molesting, but their pastor told them it wasn't really molestation. Their risk management department has worked to protect the church legally instead of protecting the children. Do not sign anything they give you. Go to the authorities. And I would say that that advice from Matthew Ayer and his wife, Amber, is really, really good advice. Don't sign anything. Don't talk to the church. Go to the authorities if you have been affected uh, by this man. If your children have ridden his bus, if they make any indication that he may have touched them inappropriately, go to the authorities. And I would recommend that any time. If you're listening to this podcast, you've got kiddos, whether you're a survivor of sexual abuse or not, if your child is ever sexually abused by someone on church property, never go to the church. Don't do it. I I don't care how much you trust the people in that church. I don't care if you've known the pastor since you were in diapers. 
I don't care if these people are even your blood relatives. If your child tells you that they have been sexually abused, the first place that you go is the police. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. You don't go to your pastor and say, my kid told me that the bus driver at your church is molesting them. You go to the authorities. You would not report a murder to your pastor. So why are you reporting the crime, the felony of child molestation to your pastor? Always go to the authorities. And that's just an aside here for me. I felt like I should interject that here. I have a feeling that the majority of the people listening to this podcast know that, but there are some people who don't. And So often, this is the kind of stuff that happens. This man, Matthew Ayer, says that he went to church leadership about his brother and said that he has been accused of molesting children, that people who are now adults say that he abused them sexually when they were children. And they told the church leadership this, and the church, instead of telling him, listen, your family has come to us with this information and because you've been accused and there's no way for us to prove whether or not it's true, you know, there's nothing, you have to step down because the protection of our children is the most important thing. So while we think you're a great guy and we don't want to believe this about you, if you've been credibly accused of sexually abusing children to the point that even your own family is coming to us and telling us that we shouldn't let you be driving kids around, we have to take that seriously. And that's what should be happening in any case where somebody who's involved in leadership in a church has been accused of molesting children. Immediately, they should be removed. And unfortunately, yeah, you can't say, like, I I was there and I saw this happen, or I have definitive proof that's not circumstantial that you committed these crimes. Like, unfortunately, you have to go with what's told to you. And that is the nature of sexual abuse claims. And I'll say this. We all feel really bad or we're tried people try to make us feel bad, I should say. They try to make us feel bad for the fact that you can't prove that somebody molested a child. I got into an argument with someone about Woody Allen on this same thing. Um, Basically, they're like, well, it's your gut instinct against my gut instinct. And it's like, that's fine. But the problem with child molestation and choosing not to believe the accusations against someone is that it is a choice. It's a choice that you make to just disregard this information that a child has come forward with. And 100% of the time, the fact that nobody was there benefits the perpetrator and not the child. And when I say nobody was there, nobody was there to witness the crime because typically people are not molesting children where other people can be witness to the fact that they are. They may try to hide in plain sight, molest children without getting caught in plain sight. But I mean, they don't invite audiences to their crimes. So when a child comes forward and says that they've been molested, it is that child's word against the molester's word, the child against the accused. And we're made to feel as though that somehow makes the perpetrator the victim or the alleged perpetrator the victim. But I will tell you that he said child said benefits the perpetrator 100% of the time. Having said that, if people come forward and say, when I was a child, you're Sunday school bus driver molested me. If this person's family comes forward and says, we've got adults coming forward telling us that your Sunday school bus driver is a child molester and molested them when they were child. If those people are coming to you, the thing that you have to do to ensure the safety of your children is immediately remove them from any position where they are in charge of children. Like the end. That seems to be an absolute no brainer. No brainer. 
You find out somebody's embezzling funds at work and they're in charge of the accounting at your church, you remove them immediately. That's a no-brainer because I feel like the church cares a lot more about money than they do about children, but that's an argument for another time. I'm sure I've done other podcasts on that. Well, instead of removing him, This church actually defended him, going as far as to tell his wife that, listen, it is your job to protect your husband and not your kids. And this wasn't really molestation, downplaying his crimes, downplaying what he's done. And they let him continue to drive the bus. And what the heck do you think happened? I'm just just a quick guess. Okay, I already told you, so you don't need to guess. But even if I hadn't told you, you would know the answer to that question. What happens when you let someone who has been accused by multiple people whose family has come to you and said, this person is a child molester, we have proof, and all these young kids who have now grown up are coming to us and saying, when we were little, we were molested by him. Don't let him drive your kids around. What do you think is going to happen when you keep letting him drive your kids around? Exactly what happened in this new story out of Gary, Indiana. He molested children. And that is on the church. It is on the church. Yes, Joseph Iyer, 50 years old, molested that child or however many children he's molested in that bus ministry or whatever it is they call it at that church. However many children he molested, he might have committed the crime, but it's on the church because they knew. They were told years ago, they were told years ago that this man was molesting children and they refused to move him from his position as the driver of the bus for the children's ministry. I don't I will not ever understand this. It is a no-brainer to me that somebody who has molested children or is credibly accused of molesting children where multiple people are coming to you and saying this is his pattern, this is what he has done. He is a child molester. Multiple people are telling you that and you're like, "You know what? We're going to let him drive your kids around anyway." What kind of callousness does that require? And what kind of contempt for the innocence of children does that decision require? It makes me sick to my stomach, sick to my stomach. So that's one story that had me extremely fired up today. Pedophiles seek out positions of authority where they are trusted so that they can molest your children the end. Like, that's it. That's what they do. So the second story, it's actually an older story, but I had missed it somehow. So in the Calvary Chapel Organization of Churches, there is a senior pastor at Calvary Chapel Mountain View in California. His name is Bill Bjorkman, I believe. And he actually served 18 months in prison for child molestation, for sexually abusing two boys. So not only does the church know this, does the Calvary Chapel Network know this, they actually allude to it on the website when they describe the senior pastor on their About Our Team page. They say he's passionate about helping people discover, receive, and walk in God's grace, mercy, reconciliation, and redemption. That's a red flag right there. If you need all that mercy and grace and reconciliation and all that stuff, what is it that he has done that that needs to be what he leads with on that page? Actually, they say for more information on Pastor Bill's unique testimony, unique testimony, and the ways in which the Lord has truly brought beauty from ashes, click here to listen to a recorded sermon taught by Pastor David Johnston, founding pastor of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. He actually stands and tells congregants about Bill Bjorkman's molesting of children And everyone breaks into applause. And then afterwards, several men told the pastor who 
served time in prison for child molestation, that they felt they'd been carrying around their own dark secrets for far too long. That's terrifying to me right there. Um, Another congregant dismissed the concern, saying, I would trust Bill with my children as I would trust my mother. This one kicked me right in the gut. It kicked me right in the gut because here is a man, here is a man who sexually assaulted two teen boys, one 15 or younger and one 13 or younger. That's the age that they were when he assaulted them. He served 18 months in prison, which is a laugh. That's ridiculous that that's all the time that he got. He was released back in 2000. And just about a year and a half after that, he had worked his way into the Calvary Chapel Network and he became a pastor at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. And of course, the congregants were not notified that their associate pastor had a history of molesting adolescents. It was only when people found his name on a website and his offender profile, it was only then, and people started contacting the church saying, hey, you know this guy is on the sex offender registry, right? We're, we're seeing this online. It was only then that the church in Santa Cruz decided to notify the congregation of the assistant pastor's history of child molestation. So I told you what happened there. People broke into applause. People were confessing their own dark secrets and saying, oh, I've carried this for too long. And other people were saying they would trust him with their children the same way they would trust their own mother with their children. That's fantastic. Well, now he is a senior pastor of a church. So a man who has spent time in prison for sexually assaulting children, multiple children, is now the senior pastor of a Calvary Chapel church in Mountain View. It's like a slap in the face to survivors of sexual abuse everywhere. But worse than being a slap in the face to those of us who have already experienced sexual abuse It is a shove into the lion's den for the innocent children that this man has access to. I cannot wrap my brain around the fact, I just can't, that he is a senior pastor of a church when he has served time in prison for sexually assaulting children. It's the same thing over and over and over again. Someone molests children, somebody goes to prison for it, They get out of prison and decide that they need to be a pastor. I'm not sure why child molesters, well, okay, I I take that back. I am sure why child molesters want to be pastors because it is a position that is trusted by so many people. Children are going to trust him. Parents are going to trust him. You, You listen to that parent who found out that this pastor was convicted of sexually assaulting two adolescents that he had served time in prison for it. And she said that she would trust him with her own children the same way she would trust her mother. She's an idiot. And I am perfectly happy to say that. Sorry if I sound mean. Sorry if I sound like a jerk. But lady, you're a moron. Because people way smarter than you with lots and lots of degrees, lots of letters and numbers by their names. Okay, maybe not numbers, but definitely a lot of letters by their names have done the research and they tell us that pedophilia does not change. People can get treatment, people may want to change, but those desires do not change. They can be treated, yes. Do I believe that a person who has sexually abused a child cannot ever want to stop or try to stop? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I want to read you something from the Merck Manual just on mental health, and it's about um, pedophilia. Simply putting pedophiles in prison or another institution, even for a long time, does not change pedophilic desires or fantasies. The end, like period. 
And this is something else that I think that is interesting. They're talking about how pedophilia can be treated. Pedophilia can be treated with long-term individual group psychotherapy and drugs that alter the sex drive and reduce testosterone levels. So if someone is is in long-term individual group therapy, they're taking drugs that alter their sex drive and reduce their testosterone, that's treatment, but the results of the treatment vary. According to the Merck Manual, outcome is best when participation is voluntary and the person receives training and social skills and treatment of other problems such as drug abuse or depression. Here, here's to me something really important when it comes to this story and stories like it. Treatment that is sought only after criminal apprehension and legal action may be less effective. In other words, Somebody who is participating in this therapy because they got caught and because they got incarcerated, it's not as effective as somebody who says, hey, want to change, want to be different. Here I am confessing my sins. This guy did not come forward about what he did. It was only when his victim started contacting him and basically threatening to speak that he had to admit what he had done. And that is a tactic of abusers. It's what they do. It's a part of the manipulation. It just is. So there's a lot of research, and I would encourage you to do the research. Look up what it is that people say about pedophilia and whether or not it changes. But this man did not stop being attracted to 13 and 14-year-old boys because he went to prison. He didn't stop, even if he's in therapy, even if he's taking medication. His attraction to children did not stop. And yet... An entire network of pastors and this entire congregation thinks it's perfectly acceptable that this man who sexually assaulted children is a pastor of a church, that he's in a role where he is trusted by young people, that he's in a role where he is trusted by the parents of young people. It is tossing your children to the wolves. And the fact that this is not recognized by people in church leadership makes me want to rip all of my hair out. Does that sound extreme? Because that's literally how I feel right now. I want to rip out all of my own hair and tear my clothes and get into sackcloth and ashes and just beg God to explain why people are thinking this way. It is like the emperor who has no clothes on and nobody wants to say that there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, it's fine. He's wearing a big fancy robe. He looks amazing. He's covered. No, he's not. He's naked. Why are you all saying this? It is not okay for your senior pastor to be a man who served time in prison for sexually assaulting children. It is not okay. And I'm not even saying that it's not okay according to society standards, although I will tell you this, society standards for who should and should not be around children and who should and should not be trusted are way better than the church's standards. That is a fact that I will stand by until everything changes, everything. The world does a better job of protecting our children than we do, period. We should all be grieved by that fact. The Southern Baptist Convention should be grieved by that fact. The Calvary Chapel Network of Churches, who is allowing a senior pastor who has raped children, should be grieved by that. I had to take some family to the airport today. And as I was driving back in a giant traffic jam that caused my trip to be about three hours longer than it should be, I was getting more and more and more fired up about this because I don't believe that there is any excuse for this resolution that the Southern Baptist Convention has just passed, this resolution that no one who has sexually abused anyone 
will ever hold the office of senior pastor. I was getting more and more angry that every single church that exists has not already adopted this policy, that it hasn't been in place for decades and decades because it is a no-flipping brainer to me. It's a no-brainer, people. People don't accidentally molest children. It is not an accident. This pastor, Bill Bjorkman, did not accidentally perform sex acts on a 13-year-old and a 14-year-old. He didn't accidentally do that. It takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of plotting. It takes a lot of lying and a lot of manipulation and a lot of downright evil to commit sex acts on adolescence when you are a grown flipping man, especially a man who is giving off this persona of being someone who's holy and who's following Christ. This is a no-brainer people. Anyone who desires to be in church leadership needs to be above reproach, and a man who has raped children is not above reproach. If it's not enough for you to just say, yeah, you know, we honestly shouldn't trust somebody who was put in prison for sexually assaulting children, so we probably just shouldn't let him be pastor because that's like a no-brainer. Even if it's not a no-brainer to you, we have it in Scripture. It's there in Scripture, in writing. We say that we believe the Bible. Churches use that as their manual. But when it says that a church leader, an elder, a church leader should be above reproach, is a man who has raped children above reproach? The answer is no, period. There's not a way to argue that. He is not above reproach. He should not be in a leadership role in the church. We shouldn't need the world to tell us that it's wrong. Can Bill Bjorkman be a Christian? Yeah, if he wants, if he's truly repentant. Can he go to heaven? If he means that he's sorry, fantastic. Can you make an argument that Bill deserves to go to church services personally? I say no, not if children are around. However, you want to make that argument, you you go right ahead. He wants to sit in the congregation and be fed spiritually or whatever it is he wants to call it. Okay, we'll listen to your arguments about that. What I'm not going to listen to you is you saying that it's okay for a child rapist to be the pastor of a church. And they're everywhere. This is not like a one-off. This isn't like the only story like this in the news. They're freaking everywhere. And it says a lot about what we believe about God's heart for the vulnerable. It says a lot about how we feel about vulnerable people that we allow that to happen. If you've been learning about sexual abuse within the church for long or you've been advocating for long, then you've heard all of the excuses. God is a God of forgiveness. He has restored this brother in Christ to himself. He has repented and now all he wants to do is help people. If you want to ignore the scripture that says that he needs to be above reproach in order to be a leader in the church, okay, Go ahead. I can't stop you with that. But our leaders are supposed to point us toward Christ. They are supposed to point us to Christ-likeness. They are supposed to promote Christ and have the same attitude that Christ had in order to lead us to that place. Am I wrong about church leaders needing that? Am I wrong that they should be emulating Christ? Well, here's how they're not emulating Christ. I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I like how the Living Translation puts it as well. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The New Living Translation puts it, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Do we understand what that means? Do we understand what it meant for Jesus to give up the right that he had as the God of the universe, as the Son of God, to give up that right to be slaughtered naked in front of people, to be humiliated. He didn't cling to his rights. He didn't cling to the fact that, well, I'm God, I shouldn't have to go through this. No, he sacrificed himself. He went through the humiliation. He went through the torment. He went through a criminal's death, this man who was sinless. He went through a criminal's death, even though he had literally never done anything wrong. That is the mind of Christ. That is the attitude of Christ. He could give up all of his divine privileges, all of the privileges that were his by right as God. He could give all of them up to be humiliated and punished in order to save other people. But a supposedly repentant child molester can't give up his right to stand in a pulpit in order to protect the vulnerable. How do we have this so backwards? These men of God are supposed to be emulating Christ. If he can give up his deity to save people, you can give up preaching on Sundays to protect innocent children from your evil desires that have led you to assault these children in the past. What are we not understanding about this? What are we not getting about this? It is not your right to preach every Sunday. It is not a God-given right for you to lead a church. And once you have raped a child, you have disqualified yourself from the privilege of being God's ambassador within the church. You've disqualified yourself, period. How is Pastor Bill emptying himself How is Pastor Bill humbling himself to the point of death? Like, how is he emulating Christ here? How is he taking on the nature of the servant? He's not. He's saying, yes, I raped kids, but I'm still going to stand behind this pulpit and tell you how to live your lives as Christians. I'm still going to stand behind this pulpit and claim to be an above reproach pastor of vulnerable people. That is not the attitude of Christ who actually had the right to feel that way, Bill. He actually had the right as God to demand that equality with God and say, I I don't deserve to die. I haven't done anything wrong. All of you die instead. That would be much better. But instead, he humbled himself. He took the form of servant. He died brutally and humiliatingly on the cross for us. And this guy can't even make the decision that says, I have sexually assaulted children multiple times in my past Therefore, I have no business behind this pulpit, and I am going to step down and humble myself by giving that up in order to protect the vulnerable. That is the attitude that every single pastor and church leader should have. It is not this, my rights, my rights, me, 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 me. And the whole structure of the entire church system in evangelical Christianity is set up to make it all about me, 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 me when it comes to leadership. Because we put one dude in charge 
And what he says goes, and it's absolute. And yeah, there may be a few little piddly people around that he might be like, quote, accountable to. But for the most part, you get into that position of one person in charge and you call the shots and the buck stops with you. And I'm referring to some specific denominations. I will say this, it's set up a little bit better in some than others. But in the stories that I'm talking about today, it's not. In the stories I'm talking about today, this denomination can allow a convicted pedophile to be the pastor of their church, and nobody can say anything about it. And if they do, they're bitter and unforgiving. It's wrong. It is not the New Testament model for the church. It is not what was intended for the body of Christ. It's not. But I'm not here to talk about church structure necessarily. That is definitely a conversation that needs to be had, because when you talk about church structure— The reason churches are finding themselves in these messes over and over and over again is because of the way that churches are structured and the power that is being given to the few rather than the many. I do think that's a huge problem. But I think the bigger problem is there's no humility. Power corrupts. It does every single time. You give people unlimited power, you give them money, and they begin to think that they somehow deserve it. You are a servant of Christ as the leader of a church. You're, you're a servant. You should be humbling yourself daily. And if you've raped little boys, you have no business behind a pulpit ever, 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 ever again. The end. No argument. And these church leaders and these denominational leaders in all these churches where it's happening are going to answer to God. You're not going to answer to me. You're not going to answer to the people on the internet who are protesting. You might have to answer to us now as we're complaining and as we're telling you that what you're doing is wrong, but we're not the ones you need to fear. Jesus gave a stark warning. Anyone who causes one of these believers in me to stumble, the churches who don't listen, who say, well, I would trust this man with my life. I trust him with my children like I trust my own mother. This man has been redeemed. He's sorry for what he did. Yeah, we know that research tells us that pedophilia doesn't change, that that temptation is always going to be there for him. We know his heart, though, and and, and we believe that he's not going to do this. I'll say this. Unless you have proof, absolute proof, 100% proof, because that's the only way you can protect kids, unless you have 100% proof that he's never going to stumble and fall back into that sin, that he's never going to act out again on his desires, unless you have 100% proof of that, You have no business allowing him to be in a pulpit. You have no business allowing him to pastor vulnerable people. No business whatsoever. And you will never have 100% proof that a person who has molested children will never do it again because you don't have that kind of power. You don't have that kind of insight into the future. You're not a psychic. And unfortunately, that is the way that it works. It would be great if you could wave a magic wand and say, well, I have just read the future and Bill Bjorkman never molests a child again. Therefore, it's okay. We don't have that luxury as human beings. We don't. Here's what we know. This man is a child rapist. He served time in prison for what he did. He fits the criteria for a pedophile, not a child molester, somebody who just given the opportunity molested children. This man worked at a children's theater when he was caught for child molestation and when he was arrested. He worked at a children's theater. I wonder why he worked at a children's theater. Probably because he was attracted to children and working at a children's theater gave him access to children. So he molested children who were in that children's theater and he went to prison for it. He is a pedophile who is attracted to children. And according to experts, pedophilia does not change. 
We love to say God can change anyone. He can change anything. Yeah, he sure can. Like, it's true. I believe God can change anything that he wants to change. I also believe that when people have certain mental health disorders and pedophilia has been termed a disorder because it harms other people, sometimes we have to live with those disorders. Sometimes we have to live with the things that are wrong with us. And and I don't want to hear like cry me a freaking river about pedophiles having to live with their disorder because they're victims. We have to live with what they've done with us for the rest of our lives. We've got to live with all of those effects. We just have to deal with it. Got to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, got to go to therapy, spend the money, do the work, deal with the crap that we deal with as a side effect of child molestation. We got to do that for the rest of our lives. That is our punishment. And the punishment for sexually assaulting a child is not worse than that. In fact, a lot of times they get off way easier. The reality is that sexual attraction to children does not change. It doesn't change. It's only in how you manage it. It's only in how you're medicated or in the therapy groups you're in. That's it. It's in how you manage it. It's like saying, I was born without a leg. I can wear a prosthetic device. I can learn to do a lot of stuff without that leg. I can even dress in a manner and get the right device that makes it look like there's not even anything wrong with me but I'm still dealing with it for the rest of my life that I don't have a leg. People who deal with depression, the same thing. If they're clinically depressed and there's something in their brain that does not allow them to function like a, quote, normal person functions, they have to take medication. They have to deal with that depression, with medication, and with other things to try and help them be able to deal with life. But they don't get to say, I'm not a person who struggles with depression. That It doesn't happen because they are a person that struggles with depression and they're going to spend the rest of their lives managing that depression. Unfortunately, it's just true for some people. It's true of many mental health disorders. You have to learn how to live with them. And if you're attracted to children, even if you want to change, even if you are repentant, even if you want to be different, even if you want to follow God, you're going to have to learn how to deal with it. And becoming a pastor of vulnerable people is not how you learn how to deal with that pedophilia. It's not the scriptural way. And it's not the smart way. It just isn't. Not when 90% plus of child molesters are known and trusted by the victims. You're putting yourself in a position of trust with vulnerable people. That's how you're living out your repentance. That's how you're showing that your heart is truly changed. Give me a freaking break. Just give me a break. It's disgusting. It makes my stomach turn. It grieves me. Like I said earlier, it literally makes me want to rip my own hair out. Because what are we talking for? What are we talking for? Like, why do we get on the mic every week? Why are there these podcasts? Why do we waste our breath when churches are just going to turn around and say that somebody who raped kids is totally fine being in the pulpit? Not even as like an associate pastor, but a lead pastor. It's totally fine. Oh, Did you rape multiple little boys? It's all right. You've said that you're sorry. We have literally no way of knowing whether or not you're ever going to offend again or the level to which you're struggling because you're obviously not sharing that with people. We have no way of knowing. But we are going to risk the lives and the futures of innocent little children because you're just a super likable guy. Give me a freaking break. 
Okay, <laughs> it's time for me to take a little breather. I got very worked up today on this episode, but I'm angry. I, I've, I cannot hide that. I am furious. There are some times when I'm able to just say, oh, well, our churches are doing their best and they don't know. And like, I can be happy and go along. I can't with this. This crap has got to stop. It's ridiculous. The Southern Baptist Convention should have done this years ago, where they say that no one who has ever sexually abused anybody has any business being in a pulpit. It's a little late now for them to be deciding that. This should have been years ago. It feels like another PR move, but you know what? I'll take it. A little progress is better than no progress at all. And I'm not here to talk about what I think of that exact decision. It's just to say, this should be a given. Anyone who has been credibly accused of molesting a child, anybody especially who has been convicted of sexually abusing a child, should never hold the office of pastor ever for any reason. Not pastor, not youth minister, not associate pastor, not Sunday school teacher, not bus driver, ever. If Jesus, who is God, can give up his right to be God, to humble himself to the point of death to save lives, then you can humble your flipping self, you wretched worm, who has raped children, you can humble yourself to the point of not stepping foot in a pulpit ever again to prove your repentance. That is esteeming others above yourself. I want to be pastor, but guess what? There are vulnerable people, and I have proven in my past that I cannot help myself. I have allowed myself to sexually assault children. Therefore, this desire I have to be a pastor is is nothing. It's nothing to be grasped. It's nothing to be clung to. What I need to cling to is in lowliness of mind, esteeming others as higher than myself. That is the example of Christ. And that's what I need to be doing. Why aren't they doing it? All right. I said I was done and I'm officially done for real this time. I would love to hear your thoughts on the Survivor Sanctuary podcast Facebook page. Join our group if you haven't already and let me know what you think about all this. Um, Are you angry like I am? Do you have a little bit of a cooler head right now? I'm trying, but sometimes the anger just has to come out. And today was the episode in which it came out. All right. I'll catch you back here next time on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.